I mentioned last week that in this series called Friending, that the word friending 10 years ago was just bad grammar, uh, but, but now it's, it's a, a verb, very powerful verb, because we are more connected uh, to each other than, than uh, really any generation has ever been connected. Um, and as we launched this series last week, we acknowledged the fact that while we're extremely connected and people have significant access to us, that our, our relationships... Our friendships uh, tend to be shallow, that we don't really, well, in fact, our friendship is being redefined. Uh, we looked at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, that says, a person of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and in, that, in that just short little wisdom verse, uh, what we learned is that you can be connected to a ton of people, but still experience relational loss or relational ruin. But there is this discovery that happens of a, of a friend that uh, when you go through difficulty or you go through an experience where you feel like you're all alone, there's this person or a couple of people who are there to stick close to you. In fact, that relationship, that friendship can be so strong that it is as valuable or perhaps even more valuable than some of your family relationships. Um, and for some, that's hard to understand. Uh, but for others, you, you know what I'm talking about. In, in, in no way is it devaluing your family relationships. It's just the strength of a friendship. We talked about how the, there's, there's things that are pulling against us. Uh, there's some bad maths we've been given. But we, uh, we also talked about the idea that there is this discovery of friendship that's really important. We looked at this verse uh, from Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 27, verse 9. Just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. And I said last week that, you know, for us, we can sweeten anything, right? I mean, I mentioned last week that you can defile a perfectly good cup of coffee uh, with all kinds of sweeteners and syrups and flavors, and uh, that's totally fine. We have many options at our fingertips. Uh, we, you know, you can, you can buy, you know, sh- cereals that are sweet, and there's, there's, we, we can sweeten anything we want that, uh, that you know, just kind of makes the flavor better from our, from our vantage point. But when this proverb was written, sweetness was something you discovered. The whole process of, of making sugar had yet to be invented. Um, so you, you, you discovered sweetness through taste. It was so, you, you, you stepped out, you, you took a bite, and you discovered sweetness. And in this context, then, what the writer is getting at, kind of embedded in the verse, is that friendship is a discovery. Uh, it's, it's a discovery process. Now, I'm going to put a quote back up on the screen I had last week from C.S. Lewis, uh, his book, The Four Loves. Uh, it's a profound quote. I want to just catch us up and read this again for us because it speaks about the discovery process. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That's the beginning of friendship. What makes a friend is you too, you think that's important too? This is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth, and your honest answer is, I really don't care about that, I just want you to be my friend, then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing, share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So in the discovery process, there's self-discovery that needs to happen. And as we discover how God has created us, what we'll also discover is that we'll have conversations with people over a cup of coffee or a a meal, and we'll discover that, 
oh my goodness, I never thought there was someone else out there who felt as strongly about something like I do. And that is the foundation, the birth of a new friendship. And upon that, this affinity, then uh, more relational strength is added. So that, that's discovery, and that's Lewis's uh, vantage point on it. And yet our culture, there's many obstacles to the discovery of, of great friends. Mobility is one of them. People don't live in the same town for the whole life anymore, typically. We move around a lot. Uh, there's information overload. You have so much information coming at you, you want to withdraw, you want privacy, which then removes you from potential discovery of relationships. Technology. Uh, for a lot of people, our heads are down because we're looking at smartphones or we're, you know, at tablets, and that, that, that disconnects us from potential discoveries of friendship. There's all kinds of stuff that's keeping us from the discovery of, of great friends. And one of those things is we, we really... Because culture is reshaping the idea of relationships, uh, because society is redefining friendship, uh, at times we don't even know what we're looking for. And so what I want to do with these next couple weeks, I just want to give you some, some building blocks for friendship, just some ideas of, of, of what you can be looking for in the discovery of a friend. And perhaps more important than that, that not only would you know what to look for in a friend, but you would know how to be the friend that others are looking for. Uh, so uh, that, that's what I want I to I do today is just sort of give you the first building blocks. And I'm going to do this by looking at the book of Proverbs. That, that's our source. Uh, I'll put scriptures on the screen here. Uh, you, you can turn to these chapters and verses in your Bible as well. But I, today I want to do, I want to give you two building blocks and, uh, and then uh, just kind of help you begin to understand uh, that, 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 uh, that picture of a true friend. But begin putting a picture up here on the screen, actually, of a painting. This is the Bella Principella. Principella. I say this like a Tuesday. Bella Principessa uh, is the name of this artwork. And this painting actually went to auction in New York City. It was in an auction. And a guy named Peter Silverman was at that auction. And as he looked at that painting, he, he noticed that it had the attributes and the characteristics of a pretty famous painter named Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, you know, he, he, he penciled the Vitruvian Man, he painted the Last Supper and the Mona Lisa. And Silverman is in this auction, and the bidding is, is pretty low, and he's looking at this painting and thinking, I think that's a, that's a work of da Vinci, but he's not going to say anything, because that'll drive the price up. And so he begins lifting his paddle to, to purchase this, this artwork, thinking it might be a work of da Vinci. So he actually wins the auction, and he purchases this painting for $19,000, which isn't exactly chump change. It's quite a bit of money. He, he takes it to people who know art to discover if, in fact, this is a work of Leonardo da Vinci. Top right-hand corner of the painting, you can't see it on this, but he, he kind of scrapes a little bit of the, the, the canvas and sees behind the chalk, there is a fingerprint there. And, uh, and art experts take that fingerprint and they compare it to a work of art that's in the Vatican. It's the portrait of St. Jerome. It happens to be painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And the fingerprint on this painting matches exactly the fingerprint on this, uh, this artwork called St. Jerome in the Vatican, painted by da Vinci. And, uh, and what has happened is Silverman has purchased a painting uh, by da Vinci for $19,000, and today it is valued at $150 million. Yes, he, uh, he, he hit the jackpot and, and uh, one article says that he has now made a commitment to have lunch and dinner every day with caviar. Uh, he, he's, he's pretty excited about this purchase. 
The question really is, how did all the other artists or those who were art experts let this painting slip through their fingers? I mean, how did, how did everyone else miss it? And the answer to that question is, is that they either were distracted or they didn't have one of those great cones on their necks, uh, they were on their smartphones, or they just didn't know what to look for in a work of da Vinci. But Silverman did. And so it didn't slip through his fingers. He got the deal of a, of a lifetime. As it comes to relationships, as it relates to our friendships, oftentimes great friendships slip through our fingers because we don't know what a great one looks like. And so we don't know how to, how to grow as a person, and we don't know how to keep an eye out for the discovery of a friendship, that a friend who could stick closer than a brother. So that, that's why the, these building blocks that I want to I share with you are so important. It's the beginning. If you'll let me, just in your imagination, set up an easel, put a canvas on that easel, grab some paint, throw some, uh, some colors on that canvas and that woven fabric, and begin to paint for you a portrait of friendship so that you know how to be a friend, and you have your eyes and ears open for a great friend. Uh, so book of Proverbs, I'm just going to jump in right here with the first building block. Proverbs 26, verses 18 through 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, those are flaming arrows. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the friend who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Now, I just want you to put yourself in that verse for a moment. You've got someone you know, and they're shooting flaming arrows at you. Or they're shooting plain old arrows at you. They're shooting death at you. They're behaving like a madman. And you are like dodging arrows. What are you feeling? Fear, anxiety, stress, anger. You're like, what is going on here? And, and then the, the arrow shooting stops. And this person who's behaving like a madman who's supposedly your friend or your neighbor, says, huh, just kidding. I was only joking. And now what are you feeling? Well, probably relief, but some anger. And like, what in the world is going on? Or why would you do that? Well, let me just keep building on this theme, what my, my point here is. Uh, second verse, Proverbs 27, verse 14. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> yes, you know who you are, Right? You know who you are. This is like, you know, you, you sign up for a men's retreat or a women's retreat, and you're in this room. You got, you got you know, your, your roommates are assigned to you. It's early in the morning. The drapes are pulled back. The sun comes shooting in, and this person says, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day. And under your breath, you're saying, and it will be your last day. <laughs> Next verse, Proverbs 25, verse 20. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. So here's what Solomon is saying here. That when someone's experiencing sadness, when their life is collapsing, when they've experienced some relational difficulty or maybe it's financial difficulty or you, know, you name it, they're, they're in a very difficult, maybe they buried someone they've loved or a divorce has just taken place and they're just they're struggling. And singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. It's like being in the high mountains and in the Cascades and you know, it feels like it's going to snow and someone comes and takes your coat from you. You're exposed. You're exposed to the elements. Or you have a cut, a laceration, a wound, and that hurt getting that cut or that laceration. And then someone comes along and they add to your pain. And they pour vinegar in the, in the wound and now, now it just burns. 
And so that's what's going on here. Now, let, let me just put all three of these, these verses together because there's a, a kind of an idea here that's forming. In fact, if you ever read the book of Proverbs, um, and a great way to read the book of Proverbs is just take a chapter a day. There's 31 chapters. You could get through it in a month. You'll find verses like this all through the book of Proverbs that describing neighbors and friendships. But what is going on? What, what the writer of Proverbs is trying to say to us, that this is a portrait. This is a picture of a man or a woman who is emotionally disconnected. This is, this is an individual who is emotionally disconnected from others. There's, a, there's, there's something missing here. There's an emotional immaturity that, that takes place in this person. And so they don't know, as your friend, if you're a morning person or an evening person. They, they don't know the difference between a joke and just being cruel. They don't know how to mourn with those who mourn or rejoice with those who rejoice. So you have this disconnect that's, that's going on here. Let me frame it in parenting terms for us. Someone has said that as a parent, you're only as happy as your most unhappy child. Okay? You're only as happy as your most uh, unhappy child. The reason is, is because you are connected. I'm talking about appropriate connectedness here. You're connected to the welfare and the health of your child. So if your child is struggling, you're struggling. Now, my oldest son, Chase, uh, played football for West Salem High School, and his senior year was coming up, and he was really looking forward uh, to his last year. He had you know, gotten in shape. He was practicing. He was very excited about that last year. Thursday, the day before his first game on Friday, I get a call from the coaches, and they, they call me and say, you need to come up the field. We think uh, Chase has broken his shoulder. And I get in the car. I'm driving up to West Salem High, and I'm, I'm just sick to my stomach. Not because of the prospects of seeing a, a broken bone, because kind of in a twisted way, I'm curious what it would look like. <laughs> but in a, in a sick stomach way, because I know that this is going to be a huge disappointment for him. Major disappointment for him. And so I'm just sick to my stomach, and I pick him up, and man, I'm just trying to process that pain with him. Turns out his shoulder was not broken. There was some dislocation. He missed a couple weeks, and he was able to play his senior year of football at West Salem High. And we rejoice with him in that. But the reason I even share that story is that when you are emotionally connected to someone, if you're a parent, you are connected to your children. When you are connected in that way, when they hurt, you hurt. When they're in pain, you're in pain. And this is why, that, why I said last week that we really have the human capacity for two or three of these kind of relationships. We can't handle that much. Now, unless you're super normal, like Barbara Fletcher, she's got her Fab Five, right? But for most people, two or three of these kind of relationships is all we can handle because it's just, it's, it's hard work. But friendship is a deliberate choice. It's a deliberate choice to allow yourself to hurt for those that you care and love. And, and so that, that building block of friendship is, is emotional maturity, this is really one of the first things we need to get our head around. Uh, Peter Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, he's a pastor in New York. Actually, pastors in Alliance Church in New York. Uh, it's part of our, our movement. And uh, Scazzaro's thesis in his book is this. He says, it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. 
So what Skazero is getting to is we, we physically mature in life, we spiritually mature in life, and it isn't just gathering information and learning things in our head, that we also emotionally mature. And so there's this connection within us that has to, this, this, all these things move forward. And as they do, th- then we, we definitely see spiritual growth happen in our life. And he's trying to expose this, this, uh, this gap in our, in our idea of what spiritual maturity is. Let me steal his thesis and apply it to our topic of friendship because I do believe it relates. I would say it's not possible for you to be a trusted, reliable friend while remaining emotionally immature. That, that you cannot be the friend your friend is longing for unless you are maturing emotionally, unless you're, you're moving from reacting to responding. Um, and, and in fact, in, in Cazero's book, he has a test. He gives categories of, of where you score. Are you an emotional infant, an emotional child, or adolescent, or adult? Um, and just gives some, some clarity and descriptors for that. Which leads me just to say this. This is one of the reasons why I'm so appreciative at St. Alliance. We have ministries like Life Path Ministries. It's our recovery ministry. And, you know, we think of recovery ministries, we think, well, that's just for people whose lives are a mess. You know, they're, they're really, things are just really struggling. And, and so, you know, you have addictions to gambling or to alcohol. And so that's why you would go to recovery ministry. Well, it's, it's way broader than that. And I'm, I'm grateful we have a place like that for people who are struggling with addictions. That's, that's fantastic. But it's also a place where, where you're stuck emotionally or you know, you're a people pleaser or you're codependent or you know, some of the ways that were described for us today. And I believe that it's a place for all of us to go and be equipped. It's a, it's a stop in our discipleship path. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't, that doesn't relate to me. I don't have any of those issues. Oh, we have a group for you too. Uh, <laughs> and... and because we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And, um, and a place like Life Path is a fantastic, fantastic place for us to plug in, allow God's word to shine in our hearts and our minds, and, uh, because we're all broken people. That brokenness manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And we always, we always think someone else's brokenness is worse than ours. It's pretty fascinating how we get there. But because we're minimizing we like to minimize our immaturity. We like to minimize our lack of spiritual growth. So let me just level the playing field. We're all a mess, right? And when it comes to emotional health, we all have growth ahead of us. And so in Christ, I'm just grateful we have that ministry. So first building block is emotional health, what emotional maturity. And as we are growing emotionally, as we're becoming wise in life, then we can be the friend that God is calling us to be and we have our eyes out for discovering a friend like this. That's building block number one. Building block number two, I'll take it from this proverb here. Proverbs 27, verses five through six. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Let's just divide that verse in half because you got two, two halves. The first half is an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Again, notice the contrasts. Open, hidden, rebuke, love. And you see the words open, rebuke, and that sounds like DEFCON level five confrontation. It, it's not. It's, it really is an honest, transparent conversation is what that is. It, it's between friends. And it's, it's an honest conversation as contrasted to hidden love. 
Meaning, you, we've all been there, right? Where you have a friend and you see them and you hear them say something that's a little off color or you watch them be a little bit deceptive or you see them going down a path that isn't really healthy and you think to yourself, man, someone should really say something to them. Because I'm not saying something to them because I don't want to harm my relationship. I don't, they're my friend. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can say that. And what the, the, the writer of Proverbs is saying is that's hidden love. And the reality is, is that we, we cloak this stuff, our lack of conversations here. We say, I just can't say that because I love them too much. But the reality is, you just can't say that because you love yourself too much. You don't want to go through the pain or the vulnerability of having the conversation. And I, vulnerability, I, just, I define vulnerable as weakness with trust. I can be weak with someone because I trust them. And so what we end up doing is we end up hiding our love. And the second half of the verse, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Again, you've got contrast. Wounds and kisses. Sincere friend and enemy. When we hide our love, we are not behaving as a friend. What we are doing is we're kissing like an enemy. Think about Judas and how he betrayed Christ with a kiss. When we hide our love, it's as if the writer of Proverbs is saying, we're behaving like Judas, and we're betraying our friends. We're not speaking openly and honestly about the character flaws that could bring them significant pain. I, I've, I've, let me just illustrate that. I have a friend, his name is Tony, and uh, Tony is a friend, he's a true friend. Uh, when Trina and I were living in Hood River, Oregon, um, Tony and I were in the driveway. We were talking, and uh, he, he said to me, he, you know, we, as we were talking, I think we were talking fishing, hunting, or something like that, and I could tell that there was something on his heart, something on his mind. And he took a deep breath, and I was like, man, I wonder what's going on? And he says, I, I, Steve, I need to share something with you. And I said, yeah, shoot. He said, you know, you, you borrow a ton of stuff from me. And, and I'm great with that. But you don't return stuff. <laughs> and, and then I go out to the garage, and I go out to the shed, and I, I go to get it. It's not there, and it just frustrates me. And, man, times it just makes me angry because, I, I mean, I bought it, and I want to be able to use it, and, and, and you're not returning it to me. And, and, and responsibility Responsibility is, is, man, it's a character flaw in your life. Now, let me hit the pause button on that conversation for a moment. Step outside of it for a moment. You know, I have a lot of res uh, available responses to me, depending on levels of emotional health. I mean, A, I can go flat out denial. <laughs> I don't borrow your tools. You know, B, I can blame. Well, it's not really my problem because I've tried to take back your tools, but you're never home. <laughs> C, I can go the route of deflection. Well, you think I have a responsibility problem? You got a spending problem. You got way too many tools. <laughs> Come on, we've all done it, right? <laughs> D, I can go the route of shame and manipulation. 
oh man, I just can't believe that you'd even want me to be your friend. I'm such a mess. I don't even know why you'd even want me to hang around you anymore. I mean, those are just four options. And probably to some level, we've all done that. Because when it comes to those moments, our our emotional health, this is why building block A is so crucial. Emotional maturity. When someone confronts you or someone expresses candor, building block two, what are we going to do? And I took gulp, double gulp, when he's talking to me. And and stepped back into the conversation. I, I just looked at him and just said, all right, let's go get your tools. And I just, I just felt, man, he's right. That was 20 years ago, and we're still great friends. We're good friends. And the friendship was sustained because he had an open, transparent conversation with me. He protected me. Wounds from a friend, from a sincere friend. I mean, they're... The reason they're wounds are not just wounds for the person who's hearing it. It was a wound for Tony as well because it took guts to initiate the conversation. In fact, this this next proverb, last proverb I'll put up on the screen here. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. When we don't have these honest conversations, what we're doing is hidden love. We betray our friends because they walk down a path thinking they don't have any problems here or they don't have any need for growth in this area and it ends up them walking into a trap or stepping into a pit and relational chaos, perhaps even relational ruin takes place because no one told them. No one had the guts to say, man, you're you're being dishonest. Man, be, be careful. You know, I don't know if that would honor your wife. It's, it's just a really important building block of a, a friendship. So emotional maturity is huge because when it comes to conversations of candor, which is building block B, when it comes to those conversations, we really can't do them well if we're not emotionally healthy because we'll end up causing chaos. So as we look at these two, I just want to remind you that you know when Jesus, when Jesus took on flesh in the incarnation, he modeled this perfectly for us. He was emotionally healthy, and he spoke with candor. And in Jesus, you know, we we look at Jesus, we see him doing things, and sometimes we say, yeah, I can't do that because I'm not Jesus. I mean, Jesus is God. Well, the, the doctrine of the incarnation is that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, set aside his divine prerogatives. He set aside his divine, fully God, he set those to the side, and he embraced full personhood. He took on flesh, which means he grew in emotional health. Luke chapter 2 tells us he grew in wisdom and stature. There was a growth process in Jesus' life because he set aside the divine prerogatives. So Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in emotional health, and he spoke with candor. Look at the conversations he had with his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. How many friendships could handle someone saying to them, get behind me, Satan, For you have in mind the things of man rather than the things of God. That's strong. But because Peter knew that Jesus loved him, because it must have been expressed in a way that that demonstrated emotional health, the relationship was intact. Jesus was emotionally healthy as well as one who spoke with truth and grace. He, He spoke the truth in love. 
and it established great relationships. So even as we, we continue looking at these different aspects of friendship, in Christ, what you see is your perfect friend. And yes, we have a, a friendship with God. It's vertical through Christ. But we have friendships with one another that model that relationship to our world who experiences broken relationships on a day-in, day-out basis. So, we're going to end this morning with a test. I'm going to be easy on you. It's true or false. you got a 50-50 shot here. Okay? I just want to wrap up and just give you some handles, some ideas of how this could apply to you. I'm going to put some statements up here, and here's the first statement. You're going to answer it for yourself. True or false? Not for your spouse, not for the person you wish that was here today who had heard this message. This is for you. I am emotionally mature. Now, if it's false, then know that, hey, <laughs> that, that's not to shame you or to guilt you anyway. Maybe after the service, you want to go talk to someone at the life path table and engage in a conversation. It's okay. If it's, it's true, praise God. Uh, second one is this. I have a, at least one friend who has permission to correct me. Is there someone in your life who loves you but is not necessarily impressed by you <laughs> that you could get permission to, to say, I want to save you from putting your foot in a trap? This is why I love God's word. It's so incredibly practical. But do you have someone in your life that you give permission to to speak these words of truth and love. Last one's this. I am healthy and courageous enough to not hide my love. Are you a friend who would take the risk of saying, I just want to have a conversation with you and, and, and do it in a way that sustains the relationship? Three statements, true or false. Let this be an impetus. Let this be a prompt for you as you grow in your ability to discover friends and make friends and be a friend. Let's pray together. So Father, I, I thank you that uh, you have taken us from this place, as the book of Romans says, from this place where we once were enemies of God, but now we're friends. Jesus You've made it possible for us to be reconciled back to our heavenly dad. So grateful for that. And we want to live lives in such a way that honor you. We want to love one another. We want to have deep, rooted friendships in such a way that, that our city, our city would look at how we love one another and they would say, truly, these, these are people who do love each other. And it would be intriguing and it would cause them to seek you and to ask questions. And could it be, Lord, that our vision of a city at peace with God would be, would be enhanced and momentum would be gained simply by us being a great friend to someone? I pray that our relationships with one another would be so very pleasing to you. And I want to especially pray for those who are here who are lonely today. I want to pray for the hurting Lord, I ask and pray that you would teach us how to mourn with those who mourn, how to rejoice with those who rejoice. I pray that you would lead us to a place of discovery of a great, true friend. May those who are lonely, those who feel isolated, discover the gift 
of a good biblical friend. I pray this in your name. Amen.